0: yes sir. i can speak hi everyone welcome back thank you for joining us again on this podcast on comfort women it's still us the same people uh, from episode 2 um so in episode 2 we've seen the comfort woman system and we've seen that it was a true case of sexual slavery and forced labor those girls were not Consenting at all, and on top of that, they did not receive adequate payment for their service and suffering. To us and to many other people and activists, there is no doubt that this was sex sexual slavery. Um, however, unfortunately, not everyone shared the same vision. Uh, the comfort women issue was not only misunderstood but also highly stigmatized for a long time. One of these reasons, of course, was the initial silence, as we said in the previous episode of the victim. The perpetrators did not speak at all, and even not the witnesses. Survivor, uh, survivors kept silence for half a century, even after the event, notably due to the patriarchal norms that are highly stigmatizing for them. In Korea especially, where a majority of comfort women came from, no talk was made up until a very, very, very long time. And it's only around the 1990s that the victims actually started to open up. As the stories started to be shared, the redress movement began. This movement uh, was led by advocates, organisations and willing citizens um, that aimed at giving reparations to the victims and their families, as well as recognition. And in this episode, we will explore the redress movement, both in Asia and in the US, because it's very different how it's conducted in both these regions. And now I'll leave the floor to... To Manon, who will talk about the redress movement in Asian countries, mostly in Korea and Japan.
1: Yes, thank you. So we were so excited to discuss this topic because it is so important and so fascinating and interesting. So we hope that you will enjoy it. So first, the recognition is really hard, as you all know, but especially for this issue concerning sexual activities, sexual slavery and forced labor. So anything surrounding sex is still highly stigmatized and of, often considered taboo. Especially for women, sex in, in general is tied to numerous stereotypes and misconceptions that make it hard to approach the issue, especially in Asia, where the discussions around sex excess is even less current. So as you may imagine, it was very difficult for victims to start speaking, but even more for them to be heard, which is really like the important recognition. So however, in the early 1990s, a progressive shift started to emerge opening more possibilities for discussion. So this shift can be explained notably by the emergence of a unified Korean women's movement, yeah, woman power, yeah. or the replacement of the military dictatorship. So in 1990, uh, during this progressive wave, Thirty-seven women's organization is in South Korea created the Korean Council for the Women Drafted for Military Sexual Slavery by Japan. From now, uh, so from now on, when we say Ki uh, Kise, uh, it's in reference to Korean Council. It's going to be easier for this podcast. Uh, so their initial request to the Japan government were so first acknowledge that the Comfort Women system existed to make a formal apology and reveal the details about the system, and also build memorials, make reparation to the survivor. So here we really talk about like how to build a memory of this event and how to uh, overcome traumas, and then uh, their families and include information about it in history textbook, because uh, we will see like how difficult it is to put it in manual uh, in Asia. So by the early 90s, efforts were made to fulfill this request. For example, in 1997, all seven history uh, textbooks for middle schooler included a mention of the comfort woman. Uh, Moreover, in 1993, Chief Cabinet Secretary Kono Yuhi expressed Japanese apologies and remorse to quote him for the comfort woman system and recognize the imperial's military role in establishing, maintaining and managing the sex venues. So similarly, in August, 1999, Prime Minister Maruyama Tomishi addressed the issue Conveying is deep remorse, to quote him again, and also heartfelt apology for the Japan's pre-colonial rule and aggression. Even though this statement remains purposely blurry and vague, they were a step in the right direction. But, however, the KC action were ultimately slowed down by the shift toward historical revisionism. So now we can see that we have a second wave, which is more revisionist than before, and also really neo-nationalist. So it started at the mid-1990s and really rejected this progressive vision of the comfort woman system. So stigmatization and negationism became stronger than ever. For example, the far Act, academics asked for the elimination of any mention of the Comfort woman system in textbook. And by 2012, all the mention of it had disappeared. So we can see how complicated here is to build memory if you can't even acknowledge it to students and to teenagers. Mm-hmm. So moreover, in 2006, she became the Prime Minister and his highly negative views on the issue. Uh, became a uh, government policy and he defined the idea of sex slavery during World War one as a complete fabrication. so could you imagine here we like or completely religiousness, and we don't even like acknowledge the fact that it exists. But it did not stop um, the Korean Council, of course, mm-hmm. and their actions. So alongside other women's organizations and international bodies, so we have some help from the international community, work even harder to get those women the recognition and the payment they deserve. So from 1995 to 1999, the KC carried out a medical examination of survivors. It turned out that 19 of the 53 girls tested were positive to syphilis. Many of them also reported physical beating and abuse injured in the station. And as well as strong psychological traumas, as we can imagine, such as mental disabilities, emotional disorder, self-loathing, or even depression, and of course, uh, an unfortunately suicidal thought. So following this, the Kisei organized various meetings for the victims in order to start the healing process and help them to overcome the trauma. And in addition, they put in place civilian support networks, cooperating with medical institutions and also economic support from voluntary contribution and also support networks at the city and local community level.
0: Thank you so much for all those great details about the action of the KC. It's such a great organization and we really do need things like that to help other victims and even to help history in general. And so um, this organization really, as you showed, is the pillar for the Redress Movement and really started out this whole process. And as the KC continued to work tirelessly, other organizations and bodies actually decided to join as well. Um, we could talk about a real transnational movement that reached even the highest bodies such as the UN. Um, Indeed, and maybe unsurprisingly, uh, the UN had quite a good reception of the issue actually. Uh, Since 1996, the UN uh, Human Rights Committee bodies and other human rights organizations sent over two dozen, so like over 24 resolution to the Japanese government, urging them to acknowledge the comfort woman system as sexual slavery and take adequate measures. However, no real response was made from the government, the Japanese government, and they still denied the issue. And uh, in 1996 and 1998, two groundbreaking reports were sent to the UN um, Human Rights Committee. And from that moment on, victims were able to report their situation to the Japanese, um, uh, sorry, the, the, both their situation and the Japanese government's responses. And they gave this information to the UN so that they could deal with it. The from the best of their abilities. And so other actions were undertaken by the UN bodies to show support for the victims. Uh, For example, in July 2014, we can note that uh, the UN Committee on Civil and Political Rights openly criticized the attitude of the Japanese government and demanded a full reparation, disclosure of all evidence of the crime, and a public apology than many other reparations for the victims. And uh, when the resolution was adopted, about 200 members of right-wing parties in Japan and organizations that were right-wings yelled at the UN committee members because they were treated as, as leftists. So we can see the, the huge di- um, disparities between the Japanese uh, far-right-wing um, parties and the, the, the organizations such as the UN who are really uh, willing to listen to these women's um, yeah.
1: So it's so reassuring to see that the international community is really helping in this issue. So the UN actually stepped forward to try and get those women the peace they deserve. It is also important to know that beyond the UN and the KC organization and action, many other initiatives were also put into place by individuals or groups that feel like this issue is purely unfair, even without necessarily having any connection to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, For example, in uh, January 1992, the first Wednesday demonstration was launched and this demonstration is still occurring every week from that moment on. And it was firstly launched by the KC, but gathered many different people that are not even necessarily part of the KC. So uh, they have occurred more than uh, 1,300 times over the past 27 years. And now they are carried out by various organizations, but also students and even normal everyday citizens. And it can be de- dangerous for these citizens because they are at risk of having compromising pictures of them taken and sent to the government who, are, who is strongly against it. But like they don't care, which is amazing to see that they are willing to risk their safety and their life basically to defend these women. Um, but uh, yeah, and many of them are women actually who participate in this demonstration. And in 2011, it's interesting to see that more than 80% was, uh, were adolescents, so young people who were not comfort women at all. So uh, in December of 2011, a peace monument was placed in front of the Japanese embassy in Seoul for the 1000th uh, demonstration. And uh, so despite the government position, many citizens and organizations in Japan actually support the redress movement, which is very incredible and great to see. And moreover, many Japanese citizens also uh, visited comfort women monuments and museums. Some of them may even contribute financially to help, um, initiatives and everything. Um, and also in 2015, the redress movement was actually uh, revived with the controversial agreement that was made between Japan and Korea. So the, both governments made an agreement that was supposedly uh, to finally uh, resolve the issue, However, it was signed without consulting any exterior organization or body, such as the KC. And it proposed, it proposed money, a payment to compensate 56 Korean survivors. But the agreement did not even specify why the payment was made. So it's not really acknowledging the issue. So, of course, the KC and other organizations and even victims were completely against it. Even the UN was against uh, this agreement. And um, as a result of this very controversial agreement, new movements starting to rise and ask for a real resolution of the comfort women issue. Um, And this whole situation and the redress movement also paved the way for the creation of monuments such as um, the War and Women's Rights Museum. So overall, we have seen that obtaining reparations is a long process that is still ongoing. The rise of hate movements, especially since 2007, and the strong comfort women bashing in Japan from ultra-nationalists makes it very hard for victims to be recognized, Um, especially because the Japanese government as well is very against uh, the issue and won't acknowledge their crimes. Um, So um, even even with all that negativity, the Redress Movement still made great achievements, especially in Korea, for example, where it opened up a discussion about uh, sexual slavery and sexual assault. And so the way people talk about comfort women and rape is evolving, and we can only hope that it will continue evolving in the right direction in the future. As for Japan, um, it's more complicated. The situation is very much an issue still to this day, uh, due to the ultra-nationalist uh, and the neo-nationalist movements. And the fight is still far from being over, but we are hopeful that one day these women will get what they deserve and the justice they really deserve.
1: Yeah, it is really striking to see like how the debate has be like has became really political between like right and left, and that's something that uh, Christine Levy mentioned in the interview. That was really interesting to say that she's sad about that that we really like shift to this kind of like uh, political and opposition between right and left movement, mm-hmm. and this uh, undermining the the old recognition movement of women comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so now we're going to talk more like with the difference between um, the redress movement in Asia and in the US. So as you're uh, starting to understand, they're really different because there is really different reaction. Uh, but not the reaction is not only different in the Asian countries, but also between Asia and the Western world. So particularly in the US, Comfort Women issue has received really rather positive, positive responses, as we saw it, mainly to do the culture, I think we can say, which is easier to talk about sexual assault and prostitution uh, in general than rather in Japan. Uh, The guilt factor is also uh, really important to take into consideration uh, for this recognition movement uh, because it's more complicated to talk about that for the Japanese government than the US. Uh, And in any case, the redress movement in the US follows a drastically different energy than the one in Japan and to some extent, Korea. So firstly, the issue is way less known in the US and the Western world and in both Japan and Korea. Um, so even though the, the movements are really different, uh, it gets really more attention uh, in the Asian countries. Uh, I think that we are a great example of this, despite having followed numerous history classes, we were never thought about this issue in school, and I've personally never seen it mentioned anywhere before this year. So that's why we were so interested to talk about this topic after we read the article, because we are like, oh my God, like we need to talk about that, that's like our duty. Um, so this issue did not concern the West And were directly in terms of victims. Uh, However, the reverse movement is still present there, especially since many Korean people migrated to countries such as the US, Canada. Australia, or Germany. So what could be described as the American equivalent of the Kisei is the Washington Coalition for Comfort Women issue. So referred as Washington Coalition, or WC. The coalition started out in 1992, two weeks after the former uh, Comfort Women, O Kim Jiu was invited to the US to give a testimony. So that's really this testimony that will really help uh, to have a strong movement in the US. So the Commission on uh, Human Rights, uh, So she made that testimony there. Uh, During this moving recall, she shared her experience as a 17 years old sex slave. Uh, The attendees were shocked and her story was diffused on Fox News challenge in uh, in Great Washington DC. The general public was outraged, which is very different, different from the public reaction in Japan. So in Japan, the general public is still highly negative and critical towards comfort women. So, in the US, the initial mission of the Washington coalition was to influence the US government to demand that Japan resolve this issue. The first move was to appeal to the US federal government and from that on, they intensively advocated through demonstration, publication, films, forum. And so, for example, in 1994, a documentary titled Comfort Woman was made and screened in many locations, such as universities. So we can see, like, really the memory movement uh, happening in the United States. So the Washington Coalition also created an international conference called The Comfort Woman of World War II Legacy and Lessons. And on April uh, 2015, a paper called Open letters of people of the United States and Japan was published in the Washington Post, taking up an entire page. So we can really see that the movement is having like a big um, impact uh, and that they're starting to like uh, work for recognition and for a heritage for these women and moreover uh, really help them to get their voice heard.
0: Yeah, exactly. And. What I found to be the coolest thing is that more individual initiatives are also undertaken by different bodies, not only the Washington Coalition or even the case in Korea, but many, for example, universities. So uh, since 1994, uh, university and, uh, universities and uh, colleges such as Harvard or Yale or Cornell or NYU have hosted college tours in which many seminars and testimonies are organized with the help of uh, survivor Uh, Huang Kemju. Uh, And this tour actually continued in 2013, notably in Boston, at MIT, Boston College, and many other universities. And uh, another huge step forward was actually the passing of a House resolution, the House Resolution 121 by Congress in 2007 which was really the culmination of WC's 15 years of efforts for recognition for the comfort women. And so the resolution expresses, and I quote, that the sense of the House of Representatives is that the government of Japan should formally acknowledge, apologize, and accept historical responsibility in a clear and inequivocal manner for its imperial armed forces coercion of young women into sexual slavery, known to the world as the comfort women. So as we can see, the House, um, the house of uh, Representatives actually acknowledges that the comfort women system was a system of s- sex slaves. And so there's only the, the Japanese government who is left to, to not acknowledge the issue. And it's very frustrating knowing that we are just that far away from actually having recognition for these women if only the government of Japan could actually acknowledge its responsibilities. So as we can see... Even though the movement is way less active in the U.S. due to the fact that it did not happen in the U.S., the general trend is that people are more open to discussion and to actually understand and relate to these issues in the U.S.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so what we really hope right now is that the Redress Movement will succeed in giving those brave survivors the justice and recognition they truly deserve. So talking about recognition, uh, our next podcast will actually be about a statue that was placed in San Francisco in order to celebrate and commemorate the victims of the comfort woman system. Uh, so we hope that you are liking this series so far and that we have taught you in interesting things so see you in the next episode
0: see you thank you